My guest today has been described as one of a new breed of leaders in technology who leads by creating purpose and inspiring those around him. I've had the unique pleasure of being able to learn from him and to shamelessly emulate his unique style. He is inspiring, pragmatic, and an exemplary leader. He has the ability to be focused on growing the business whilst at the same time ensuring that the growth and development of his people. What distinguishes him from others is his outstanding ability to influence. Someone else goes on to say, he is a results-driven leader who understands the strategic sales process and rewards focus and commitment while encouraging individuals to take responsibility for their own achievements. Here's another one. One of the best directors I've ever had the privilege to work with, always available and incredibly effective as a senior executive in helping my team and me to close a number of important six and seven figure transactions. Gavin Dimmock, you're very welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Paul, and um, some very, very kind and generous words from uh, from people over the years. But uh, I appreciate the intro. Thank you. Yeah, well, they're, they're obviously well earned. Um, uh, I think people were very generous in, in, in you know, that, that it's real. And there was, there was a, what, what I felt in reading through them is, and I only, there's only a small selection for, for time purposes, <laughs> but there seemed to be a common thread there, Gavin, which seemed to be that of somebody who inspires, supports, nurtures talent. Would that be a fair statement? I, I think as a leader, you, you hope that's what you're doing, right? And, uh, you know, there's certainly a, a number of examples I look back on and extremely proud of of doing all of those things that have been referenced. I think as, as a leader as well, you can't always get that right. And there are probably some examples when you look back and you go, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll drop the ball on, on that situation or maybe that person. But, uh, you know, as a leader, all you can do, you can try and get it more right than wrong, I think, over the years. Mm. Yeah. Reading up a little bit on your CV and where you started out, I I got the strong impression it was far from privilege and that you left school early, joined the, what a lot of people on on this call wouldn't even remember are the YTS programs. Maybe tell us a little bit about that, where you grew up, what it was like, and talk to me about the early days. Yeah, look, and it certainly wasn't underprivileged. Um, You know, I had a great upbringing from from two very loving parents and a, and a loving sibling but um you know i started out my sales career aged 14 working on a market stall in milton Keynes, which is kind of where i'm from um and selling computer software and and here i am i won't share how many years later but many many years later kind of still doing the same thing the market stall is a little bit bigger the marketplace is a bit bigger. <laughs> I'm still selling software. Yeah. Um, not so much Jet Set Willie or Manic Miner, but um, and that that experience, kind of working on the market stall in between uh, in between school hours or um, or at weekends, you know, kind of gave me a, a a love of dealing with people. Gave me a love of um, thrill of the chase, doing a deal, even back then. Um, and frankly, I couldn't wait to leave school, so I left school at 16 and joined a government sponsored scheme back then, which was called a youth training scheme. And we got paid the princely sum of £27.50 a week, um, yeah. just not to be yeah. on the government. If I remember statistics. That's you, you, you took the words out of my mouth. I was just going to say that if I remember it correctly, that was a scheme basically to reduce the unemployment list. 
more than anything else. Yeah, pretty else. much. Get kids off the uh, get kids off the street, and uh, you know, I left school with yeah. my O level, and, and you know, just wanted to to kind of get started, and uh, I failed the exams yeah. that I needed to go in the apprenticeship that I wanted. So I kind of joined one of these schemes, and it turned out to be a great experience for me. You know. I want to just explore that with you, if you don't mind, because you said I sure. failed the exams, and I and I think I saw that you kind of left school with a one O level. Um, right. You're clearly not a not not a thick person, right? You're a highly <laughs> intelligent individual. What I'm always fascinated with is what happens. What is it? Why is is it that the schooling system just doesn't suit everybody? Or was there just something else going on and you, you weren't focused? What is it that, that, where is that disconnect between the system and those who clearly have the intelligence to achieve so much more? Uh, and I think, you know, just, just kind of for your, uh, for your listeners and viewers, you know, we're going back to the mid-1980s now, right, which is probably a long, long time, way before, you know, maybe even some of your, um, your community was even born. Um, I think it was far more commonplace to leave school early. There wasn't that push to get into the university system, unlike my son, you know, in his school kind of, you know, they greatly encourage people to go through the university system. Um, I think you could leave school at that age. And if you've got a little bit about you, um, you can get a job and you can kind of work your way through the world. Um, I was never someone who was pushing for a particular vocation. You know, I thought I wanted to work in computers in some way, go back to the kind of mm. interest I had in, uh, and, and working on the, on the stool. Um, and I ended up getting effectively an apprenticeship or traineeship for electronics engineer. Um, and that was kind of my route into it. I worked for a local firm in Milton Keynes who, um, uh, called IBS Radix, who made handheld devices for reading utility meters. They had a phrase which was, we are number one in sewers, which I think any marketeer, and I spend a lot of time with marketeers now, we probably yeah. wouldn't want that as our strap line. Um, but that gave me a great insight into the ability um, back then, just how to get on with people where you can, you know, get your head down, work hard and try and learn stuff from everybody. And um, I think I did a pretty good job at, at trying to learn stuff. But I don't think it's the same opportunity for um, people in early stage coming through now. I don't think they've got that opportunity because I think the world's shifted so much. Yeah, there is an expectation on not and, and I don't know that college is the be-all and the end-all. Because I'm, I'm like you, I've, well, I struggled at school, I struggled that with a system that was designed to reward people who absorbed information versus people who wanted to create, whose imagination and was always daydreaming, therefore not paying attention to what year that war was fought in. <laughs> and, uh, and, and therefore the kind of the, the system, and maybe that has changed in fairness as well to some extent, but uh, I, I'm also of the view that sometimes just getting out there and learning on the job is far more effective than spending time just reading material itself. And I don't want to diss on that. I think it's important. I've done it. But uh, it's, it's, I, it's, it's like there's an old expression that if you judge a giraffe on its ability to climb a tree, it's not going to do so well. Right. Uh, there's an element to that. I'm curious to know, though, that in terms of the market stole, the, the, the skills you learned then, what are the ones that you can say that you still rely on today? I think you've, you've definitely, whether you're aged 14 working on Milton Keynes Market Stall or whether you're, you know, GM from Mir in a, in a startup company, um, your ability to get on with people and relate to people, um, have that communication, which 
continually gets refined, even now it gets refined over the years. Um, I think you've got to be likable as an individual because they'll go to the stall next door or wherever it is, right? People have always got a choice. And I think you've got to have that likability. And I think you've got to have that little bit of, um, you've got to have that bit of smile about you, you know? You've got to try and have people enjoy doing a transaction or doing business with you. And, and whether that's, you know, doing a multi-million dollar transaction or, uh, or, or strategic deal, or whether that's selling them a, a ZX Spectrum in a couple of games. I think people, people want to deal with people they like, right? And it was an early thing I learned in my sales yeah. career. You know, yeah. people buy from people. And it's as true on a market stall, probably even more on a market stall, it is in the corporate world. Yeah. I'm curious to know, did you have any sense when you were working on that store back then of what, where, where you'd be being now? Any sense that, look, this wasn't for me, it was only a stopgap and that someday I'm going to be a senior executive working in large corporations? Uh, no, I would, I, I would never have had that level of imagination or ambition, I don't think. And I think mm. at that stage, whether you're 14, 16, 18, it's very difficult and very rare that you come across people who have got that level of insight mm. about themselves, let alone the world at large. And I think you do mm. go through phases of changing as an individual as well. But mm. um, no, I mean, look, it, it, it's kind of worked out okay. I think if I was to wind the clock back, um, you know, it's a great starting point. Mm. I think that the, the sure. salary has changed, right? It was five pounds a day for an 11 hour day then. I mean, it's... You know, I'd want that nudged up slightly. <laughs> when did the ambition element kick in? When did you just, that, 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 was that mind shift where you started to kind of look future forward? Yeah, and it's happened in, in, different, in different roles as I was growing up and continued through corporate life, actually. And I, I, I listened to uh, and watched one of my very dear friends, Jimmy Kehoe, and he kind of, gave a story about when he was an engineer, I think it was, and he saw the salespeople driving around in fancy cars. And I kind of had that moment as well. You know, I was an okay engineer, but the software people got paid more. I think they were driving, you know, probably Vauxhall Frontiers instead of a, 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 a L model Cavalier or whatever. So you think I'll go into software. And I was okay as a software engineer. I mean, I don't tell anybody at all that I've done that as a trade, you know, and I could code in Pascal or even some um, Z80 assembler and, and some stuff. But, um, and then when you're in software, you're a little bit closer to the sales organization than you were as an engineer. And then you saw the sales people, they drove around in Calibras, which is just a Cavalier <laughs> with a different shell, right? And you go, geez, it that's probably nice got to be good. How do I go get to be one of those, yeah. right? What are the things yeah. I've got to do? What are the skills yeah. I've got to go and acquire? And who are the people I need to go be friends with? Yeah. Um, to get myself into that situation. And, and I think I probably unapologetically worked really hard to always mm. look at that next move. And you make a number of sacrifices yourself to go do that. I did a number of um, evening school classes, you know, and you put yourself out there. And I think that ability to, um, for self-improvement and putting yourself out there, putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, um, but, but that you can get through, I think still mm. true today. Yeah, that, that's interesting, actually, because I had the exact same. I spent a couple of years in Beeston and Nottingham as a software engineer and then went into the pre-sales side. But I was looking at the sales guys, the bigger cars, getting all the credit and the kudos for right. the deal where you kind of felt, well, I did the, I did the technical bit, but they, they were getting all the credit. And I think that's what kind of 
drove me. And it's quite interesting because it's, it's different for different individuals. Uh, sometimes what wakens us is the sight of somebody else do, do better. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think you've got to have a bit of ambition in you. You've also got to have a supportive environment. You know, you've got to be good mm. at the thing that you do first. Um, mm. And then you've got to have a supportive environment where you um, can make some mistakes, where you can get a chance to get that first foot on the ladder. Mm. And I was, uh, at, at the time, I was working for a, the world's second largest IT company that probably now nobody's ever heard of, called Unisys, United Information mm. Systems. And, um, uh you know, I had some very supportive people who clearly saw a bit about me, um, I, I would imagine, mm. and gave me the chance to kind of progress into that and make some mistakes. And I, mm. you know, I, I've made a ton of mistakes, right? But I always mm. felt that I had a bit of a safety net by and large. I'm curious as well about, and this may not even be true for you, but a, a sense of you've worked for a number of different organizations at in what organization and why did you feel you kind of grew, professionally grew up the most where you kind of grew into a different skin of a different uh version of who who, who you were yeah and, and for sure that was through oracle and um you know i joined oracle back in 95 um i was the youngest i'm pretty sure i was the youngest field sales rep in the uk in a super competitive market, it was still customers oh. had a choice of four databases back there, relational databases. Um, and through that kind of 20 year career, I guess, um, I got I, I, I got pretty good at what I did. Um, but to get pretty good, I think you've got to fail, learn and improve um, to go through that. I mean, interestingly, when I when I kind of joined Oracle, uh, I, I was I guess I was probably put on a pip nine months in. It wasn't called a pip, right? An improvement plan. Yeah. And uh, uh, I was getting paid really well. I was having a great time. But there was something missing. Um, and I clearly hadn't observed or taken the time and the self-reflection to go, well, what, what's this thing that's missing that clearly my performance is being questioned or, or, or whatever mm -hmm. it may be? And um, I remember... I had an, an amazing manager um, back then at, uh, at Oracle, first line sales manager, super experienced guy. And uh, he called me into his office and, you know, Gavin, you know, maybe things aren't going the way. Give me, the, give me your Q4 forecast and, and kind of write the oh. deals down. And he wrote them on the whiteboard. And then I ended up with the email that had them all written on. This is what you need to be doing. And I went out and absolutely smashed the back doors off it. And, and sometimes you just need somebody to shine a light on um, the thing that might be missing for you. And I was very fortunate that um, Peter at the time was the one with the torch who shone the light on. And then you've got to have that self motivation and that propulsion that you generate, you know, through determination and fear mm. of failure and all of those other great qualities. And uh, my career really went on from, um, from strength to strength. And every time in a big corporate, I was very fortunate to have careers within a career and every different job that I had, you learn something new. So it's not just one continuous 20 year stint. It's, mm. it's whatever I had, you know, eight different mm. jobs, eight different careers within that one company. Tell me then, imagine I'm somebody who's starting out that career and I'm ambitious to go through those series of careers within careers. 
where 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 and you were to help me kind of look around the corner and anticipate the areas that I'm going to have to dig deep into and and learn and reflect and so on where would you say they are help me help me get a sense of what I need to be looking out for I, I think part of it is see if you can understand through yourself what your passion is what are you really interested in because I think without that it's going to be a real struggle if you're trying to build a career within a career or in different organizations unless you're particularly passionate about something getting up in the morning getting up at about five six a.m is just going to be tough um i think you need to find people around you that you can learn from um that you can uh be comfortable being your authentic self to so you have to mm. demonstrate that level of vulnerability and then people can kind of you know come inside the kimono and, and actually assist. Um, and you can plot your career, you know, and I spent years kind of meticulously plotting, you know, I had sharp elbows and, and you know, really, really um, being quite deliberate and intentional about not the current job, but the job after the one after that. And um, yeah. uh, I'm not sure everybody kind of has that. I think Again, you know, it's very rare to have 20-year careers in a single company with all those different experiences. It's mainly now through different organizations. But I think if you can, if you're prepared to put the effort in, make the commitment and have that level of understanding, that self-awareness, and surround yourself by good people who can help give advice, either from a support network or somebody who can be a mentor and you can kind of, you know, try and follow in their image, you won't go far wrong. I think there's 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 an awful lot that you can... Um, do yourself but you can't just do it yourself hmm. and how much of that then success career-wise comes from the internal game in an organization versus just letting the work do do the talking yes sadly i think in larger corporations you can't just let the work do the talking and hopefully someone's going to spot your talent right um it, it just doesn't work like that or rarely works like that um, I think there is a degree of, um, you know, building your support network. How do you, and it's like selling, right? You build your influence map out. I mean, geez, we've, mm. we've done a number of courses together, right? Where, you know, mm. that's, that's critical. Who's the decision-making unit on that next promotion or that next role that may come available. And all you can do is best prepare yourself um, for that. And, and I, I'm not that keen on the use of the word politics in an organization, I think it's more around organizational awareness, um, but there are certainly some levers that you that you can move um, to help present the very best version of yourself and make sure that the things that you think you're good at, other people also think you're good at as well. And the things mm. you're not good at, we just try and, you know, put those to a side. I don't want to talk mm. about those. I was talking to somebody recently and, and they, they told me that they'd taken a long time to figure that out that there's there's really more than one sale going on that there's the external sales to organizations yep. that bring in revenue but there's another one and there are other buyers in the organization and like you said it's about mapping out the influencers in the organization in in that in the context of where you are and where you want to get to and they're buying you and the potential of who you who you're becoming as well as part of that and sometimes we tend to turn on the skills when we're talking to customers but then forget that we need the exact same skills internally. We just think it, sh it should happen automatically and, 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 and it doesn't. So it's interesting to hear from somebody who's actually, who, who's done it and has mapped it out. 
Um, but the interesting thing on that, Paul, as well, just to kind of touch on it, is that like, like a customer sale, the internal stuff, there's a bunch of competition. And, and I, I think a lot of people forget about other people who are also doing the same thing as you. They want the job that you want. And, you know, so there, there is a competitive element internally, and you need to make sure that doesn't kind of spill over Ooh. as much as there is a competitive element with, um, with your customer. So how would you, how would you handle that in a, in a similar fashion? You know, and similar to selling, you know, against your competition, you've got to amplify your strengths over and above the competition. You've got to make sure you've got those relationships in place, a level of intimacy of relationships in place. And I think also, particularly in an organization, people hire um, not for what you've achieved, but for the potential mm. that you may have as well. Right. You know, where mm. do we think this person may be in, yeah. uh, in, in a year, two or five years time? Yeah, I saw it once somebody mapped it out like a pyramid and imagine there's 50 at, at the bottom layer of the pyramid and then the next layer up there's 25, then say there's 12 and there's six and there's three. And the complexity, the difficulty of going through each stage and that some of the skills are the same, but the game is different. What you're selling is different at each stage as you go through and it really does have to be actively managed. I, I, and, and to do that, I think, requires a lot of drive and ambition. And that's why I was asking you about when, when that, because there's often a point of when it's, it's a, when, when it's awakened in somebody. And clearly what you were saying is, is really when you went into that larger organization and, and, and saw it laid out in front of an Oracle and had those early wins. And I think they can be, I was curious to know what you thought about that as well, is that the early wins, you said you went in and you were one of the youngest field representatives and, and was doing well. And you had that early, you said you were fortunate that you had a manager who was able to say, look, you're doing fine, but you need to do better. Here's what we need from you. And that somebody was there to steer you. Um, but that, all of that is, I think, the output of something else. I'd like to go back a bit further, maybe talk about some of the early years who influenced you most when you were younger uh and what were the kind of traits and characteristics that were shaped as a result yeah and, uh, i kind of feel that and, and i'm not sure whether i'll answer your question as as precisely as you'd like here but i always felt that sales managers are like your favorite teachers at school right you know grand old age gray hair I remember my favorite teachers and I remember why my teachers were the favorite ones, right? Because I enjoyed their lesson or they liked me or, you know, it was just a, a good environment to be in. And I think in many ways, your people will look back on their careers, as I do, very fondly of, of my favorite sales managers or sales leader in the same way as I do kind of favorite teachers at school. And you mm. can kind of plot these individuals from where you were in your career what they did for you, how they made you feel, the opportunities they you know, may have presented to you or, or if they didn't present an opportunity, didn't stop you from progressing an opportunity in, in, in the career sense. Um, the thing they all had in common, I think, is they, they see, um, you know, sales managers are fairly simple beasts, right? We want people to perform at their very best because it means they're performing well mm. right chances are their business unit's going to perform well um and i was fortunate enough to work for a bunch of people you know when i did well they did well and we kind of you know that was that um nature of the relationship 
Um, mm. But the, the the characteristics they all had were, um, you know, they had that desire, commitment, and want people to share in some of those values. And I think you've got to have that common value says mm. as well. I think that helps. Yeah. I was actually thinking of it in more context even earlier than that, even before you kind of got on the career ladder. Now, you mentioned teachers, because I think what happens sometimes is when somebody believes in you, and that can be a teacher, it could be a family member, but when somebody believes in you, what we often take from that is, is an intangible, or maybe it just transfers as a sense of self-belief that propels you. I was curious to know your thoughts on that in terms of as you think back, what, what were those experiences that were pivotal for you? Yeah, I don't think there's anything... Certainly, I don't think there's anything that jumps to mind. As I said, you know, mm. I, I was, you know, probably above average um, student in a, in a, you know, brought up in a 2.4 children household, you know, in a, in a relatively new city, and, um, mm. uh, you know, but made made the most of the, the little talent or whatever I had, and I think people kind of respect that as well. Um, mm. But no, I don't. I don't know as there was anything for me. It really sparked when I got into the working, you know, environment, and I, I it felt to me that the, the schooling years and the environment around that were just a precursor to the thing that I was always fairly yeah. desperate to do. You yeah. know, which is just just get out, head down, get on with the grind. Yeah. So it was just those, just steady as you go, and then right. each situation kind of propelled itself onto the next one. Yeah. 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 Talk to me then about the transition from sales. You clearly had a, a great sales career, and then the transition from that to leadership. You know, there's that old adage, and we've heard it a million times because it's true that not always the best salespeople make the best leaders, but that clearly not true of you. But there, talk to me about the journey in terms of what you learned along the way to get where you are from sales and, and what you had to change and adapt to. Well, I, I was that guy, right? I was a really good, I thought I was a really good sales guy at Oracle, always did my number, you know, never a problem, very re reliable and dependable. Um, somebody would just shine a torch on me and pluck me out and go, Gavin, we think you're going to be a great leader. And of course, it doesn't happen that way. And then you kind of get into the, you know, when that job becomes available, um, who, do, uh, who do I think is going to, you know, kind of add, add that value onto to my aspect of the my my part of the career um my first day in management i turned up and it was tiny i had a team of three and it was a it was a uh a business that went on to become a billion dollar business within oracle and the vp of the business unit back in redwood shores was a guy called thomas curry and thomas is the ceo of google cloud now and we spent quite a bit of time with thomas but it was a it was a tiny tiny revenue stream thomas was a vp in oracle and uh, day one, I turned up, I got three sales guys, and uh, the first one resigned. One of them resigned, day one, my new management career, and it's like, you've got to be kidding me. Um, and uh, uh, funnily enough, I've gone back and I've hired this guy another five times since. He's worked for me in various roles and various companies. Yeah. Um, super, super guy. But he really kind of punched me between the nose and said, I'm off. Oh. Day one, oh. welcome to management. And you've got to deal with that sort of thing. And then you realize actually management's not about management, but it's about, yeah. you know, supporting people. And, and, yeah. and I'm uh, curious, and Joe, by the people. way, did he resign because his nose was out of joint because he didn't get the job? No, he wanted to go traveling. Oh. He was, um, okay. 
he just had this bug that he wanted to go traveling. I, I, I don't know whether my, my turning up on the front door exacerbated that for him and kind of accelerated the desire to leave, yeah, possibly. Yeah. But um, he's come back since, don't worry, yeah. um, on, uh, on multiple occasions. Um, but that, that was probably the job that nobody wanted within Oracle. And I s stepped forward and go, I'll do it. I think I can do something with it. It's an interesting area. It will get me exposure in the right areas with people like Thomas Curry and whatnot. And, uh, you know, over the course of five years, just built that business up um, to, to a really successful business within the UK and, uh, and eventually up into and including the acquisition of BA, which, mm. you know, I think was Oracle's kind of always the end goal, but at the start. I don't know, you know, Tom Castley recently kind of talked about his phrase about start, yes, start at the beginning yes. with the end in mind or the end with the beginning in mind or whatever it was. Yes, and, yes, uh, yes. But it was a classic one of those, you know, and that became yeah. a, a multi-billion dollar business selling middleware yeah. in a company yeah. that didn't sell middleware. Um, no. But through that, you get given more responsibility, you have to put a leadership structure in place, yeah. you get given more people, you get given a bigger target and you know, you, you, you get given a bit of a steer as to where you're going wrong and, and what you're doing right as well. And again, that was another situation where we had some great leaders in Oracle who, um, you know, helped mentor, coach and, uh, and support me through that. Mm. I wanted to ask you about um, the, it's gone out of my head now. And I know uh, it'll come back to me. Um, now, the more I try to think of it, the more I'll get lost down that rabbit hole. Um, I, the, the, one, the, the topic, though, I did want to address with you was around uh, sales leadership because, and I, I don't know how long this has existed. I've only started to notice it maybe seven or eight years ago where there's sales and everybody else is in sales leadership. And I don't know how that can be true, that within leadership organization uh, where there is, you know, you, you've got teams of individuals working for you. Um, not everybody can be a leader, that there's a huge requirement for be, to be managers. And I wanted to tease that out with you as to, you know, uh, the, the key differences for you between the two. And was there a kind of a, did, did you go through that process of being a manager first or was always just i guess what i'm trying to ask is do you see the distinction between the two and is it important yeah and absolutely uh absolutely and i i agree with you actually there's this gulf um between you know once upon a time there was a job called sales manager mm. and then if you were good at that you got to be senior sales manager and if you're good at that you got to be sales director and that was a very structured thing in somewhere like um in somewhere like oracle um, and I think that notion's gone, um, and the job titles have changed, which might not necessarily reflect, um, and I don't think it's, it, it's not that it's better or worse. I think it's just a little bit, it changes the dynamic. And as a sales manager, you are responsible for somewhere, hopefully between six and eight individuals. And you are there to do that classic thing now, which is coaching, right? You know, we all talk about coaching all of the while and coachability but that was around coaching and it was deal based and it was about, you know, forecasting accuracy and it was about coming on a sales call with you, 
because actually that was a really good thing for me because I could learn from my boss on a sales call. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a slight on me. It wasn't going, I don't think you can do the job, so I've got to come with you. Um, it was my manager being in the trenches with me. And I think that being that close to the sales team and to the sales people at that sharp edge, um, oh. I would do so many sales calls with a, with a manager, not because I was incompetent, but because it added a greater level of color and richness oh. to the engagement with the customer. We would get a more predictable, better outcome from that because we've got four ears and two sets of eyes in an environment. Um, and and I, I think some of that does get missed um, oh. today. Uh, and, and I do think people going through that role is is critical and being humble about that and understanding that that's a really great role. And arguably, I think in that level of sales leadership, sales management hierarchy, it's the single most important role. Mm. You know, being a great first line sales manager is so important, yeah. so important. Yeah. yeah, I think the leadership thing is it's a little bit like brand. With you know, marketing people say brand is what other people say about you when you're not in the room. And I think we don't get to define or decide that we're leaders. That's for other people. And, and it reminded me, you said, that guy who left on the first day in, in your first management job, uh, but he's, you hired him five times afterwards. That, to me, is the measure of a leader, somebody who's willing to follow you into different roles because they believe in you. They're backing the rider, not the horse. And... Uh, and that's why I, 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 I kind of I have a jaundice die when people talk about sales leadership, because it's just what does that actually mean even I, at, I at an individual are, level? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, kind of the higher up the organization you go, you know, you get a better understanding mm. of that. But it becomes around, mm. um, you know, how do you set um, how do you set vision? How do you set strategy? How do you mm. kind of put all of those um, you know, bumpers and rail guards in place for the organization to go and achieve mm. the same. But then you spend a lot of time, you know, one would hope trying to inspire and motivate yeah. people towards that common goal vision, um, yeah. which is going to achieve the outcome that you need. And there is a, yeah. there is a difference between the two roles, you know, as a first line sales manager, yeah. I think trying to do those things, you just don't have the bandwidth to, to do those. Yeah. yeah. I curious, where did you come in your family, by the way, are you eldest child? I'm the youngest of two by 18 months, really? so, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I ask that often, because you, you, you can sometimes see that, that the, the eldest child has those innate leadership characteristics, because they're often given that responsibility when they're younger, when their parents are exhausted, and they say, hey, Gavin, look after your younger brother or sibling, right? Uh, obviously, that's not the case with you. Uh, you. You said you were the youngest. Um, but uh, that, I, was just, I asked because of that, sometimes you'll see it. I think there's a, there's a great book out there called Birth Order, and they talk to it's, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's out of the ordinary kind of number of CEOs are either only children or eldest children. Same with, you know, presidents and people who are in C serious leadership roles. Because clearly you had the trait, because you not alone did you mention that guy followed you, but also just reading through your testimonials, it came up more than once about your ability to inspire people because that's it's, it's not enough just to define strategy and guardrails but if you can't sell that and inspire people to follow it there's no leadership there it's just a, it's just an activity and and clearly something you you have in spades
you've, you've, I think as a, as a leader, as opposed to a manager, you've got to be able to um, get people excited about the journey we go on. You've got to be, give clarity of communication. Mm. Um, you've got to do the, the what uh, and, and the how and the why um, is important. And, um, you know, I kind of look back a bit on, on a role I had in Oracle. I, I led financial services business for a few years. And um, we, we talked about, and, and I did this with a leadership team, right? This isn't something you do in a, in a dark mm. corner and go, right, mm. I've now got the strategy, right? Because nobody will buy into it. Mm. But as a, as a leadership team, we, we talked about creating our own legacy. And we were in every individual in that business. And there was, you know, a good number of salespeople. Uh, we wanted everybody to look back on that moment in their careers, regardless what their careers go on to be, and go, I was there. Right. That was the moment that accelerated my career. That was the thing that I was a part of. And I can be proud to be part of that. And if you can ignite that in people, um, mm. it's amazing what people can do. And it's amazing the brick walls people will run through for you, for them, for their friends and family and whatever, mm. you know. And um, uh, that was quite a seminal moment, I think. And, mm. uh, and, and for that, you know, that business grew from $47 million to 165 mm. in, in three years. Um, That's phenomenal. That's, and, and, and it's just, it, it actually, that has, what you said was quite profound, it was a way of framing the experience of, that people could say, I was in the room where it happened. And that they were able to define that. And you said you started with that in mind, that people would be able to say that later on. I, um, I'll share this little anecdote with you, Paul. I, I, I got my, um, my post into the London office. And I've been a rep there. And then I've kind of gone back to, to Reading. And then, then mm. I was asked to, um, I got my first VP um, role, which I was extremely proud of. And I remember taking on, on a Saturday, I, I went to Thames Valley Park over the weekend, put all my stuff from my desk there in a box, drove up to the city office in Moorgate on the weekend, um, and looked at the office I'd been given. It's the first time I'd had an office. And, and it was literally kind of almost a glorified broom cupboard. And it was the place mm. where everybody kept all the rubbish. And I went through kind of these old drawers. And I was, I'd be opening this cabinet. And all these old files and account plans would fall out from, from a time when I was a rep there 10 years before. And it was fascinating. I spent an hour or so just kind of reading through these old account plans and these old deals and these old contracts. And at the bottom of this big pile of paper that nobody had looked at for 10 years was a glass plaque. And I kind of dusted it off. I did that almost Indiana Jones thing of <laughs> and kind of dusted this plaque off. And it was a plaque that the sales manager in financial services had been given as best sales manager of the year in the UK. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, from 10 years ago. And it happened mm. that 10 years ago, I was very fortunate. I did the biggest deal or a part of a team that did the biggest deal um, in financial services globally at Oracle. Oh. I was 27, 28 years old. And uh, this thing had been kept, like preserved, perfectly preserved. I dusted it off and posted it to, uh, to the person. Who, I found this in my new office, uh, you know, but you probably need to have it. And it took me to oh. thinking of the great times we had, the success we had as a business unit 10 years ago and how mm. it made me feel. How mm. can I possibly try and capture some of that and bottle that and make mm. that 
uh, a mission of the new financial services business unit. And uh, to do that, you can't do it on your own. You need to go find a team of people who share in that passion and who can help you through mm -hmm. that. And uh, we, we had an amazing time. We had great fun. We broke all records and probably records 10 years on still haven't been broken. And, uh, you know, you look back, I, I get so passionate and very proud about it. And the people who shared mm -hmm. in that experience with me um, mm -hmm. for sure do as well. Mm. Fabulous story. Tell me what you're excited about these days. Um, I, I get excited. I, I kind of quote to people, like, I've had my career. Um, mm. I have a few years left in me, right? There's a few years left in the old dog yet, I would hope. Um, there's certainly a few experiences I'd love to do. There's some things, you know, I'm really pleased to be working for a pre-IPO company. I've never done that before, so I'm excited about that. Um, I get my most excitement about, um, and it might seem a bit kind of trite or a hackneyed phrase, but that level of mentoring that you can, and coaching that you can pass on to people coming up through the careers, who you see that latent talent, it just needs that teacher I had at school or that great first sales manager to help expose that. Um, and really that's where I get uh, a huge amount of enjoyment of supporting people through mm. um, through their careers. I mm. get a huge amount of satisfaction from being in front of customers, from doing the deal. But mm. it's not about the deal. It used to be about you and the deal. It's not about that. It's about the salesperson doing the deal and the rewards and recognition that they're going to mm. receive. And you kind of mm. slowly just move back into the shadows and into the background and have that person have the limelight moment. That's a huge mm. sense of satisfaction. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I, you, you mentioned that you're now working with a pre-IPO company. Yeah. I would imagine going from large, highly structured organizations like like Oracle and Marketo and so on, that 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 that's a big, big change. And I'm curious to know how you've had to adapt, what you've had to learn, or maybe relearn, in order to be successful in a completely different context yeah and, and and i was very fortunate at the end of my at the end i i kind of called time on my 20-year career at oracle and went on a sabbatical um which is the best decision that i ever made i you know i was tired i was in my whatever mid-40s back then i just needed some time out and I don't think, I then went into Marketo in a service, small serviced office, you know, with a team of three salespeople, mm. and I think an office of seven. Um, if I didn't have taken that time out to reflect, to try and take on board the learnings that you've got, I think it would have been out of the frying pan into the fire. That would have been too much of a, of a jump. Mm. And that time out allowed me to um, probably calm down a little bit realize that this job is very different. You can't take things that were good and you did in Oracle and just transport them. You have to kind of find out what's gonna work here. And if there's some things in your tool bag you've got that are gonna enhance what makes the company that's good already great, then you can use those. Um, and there's some things you miss. You know, you miss big infrastructure, you miss lots of resource. What you get in, um, in spades though, is you get a smaller number of people who are make up for the lack of volume of people and the quantity um, by sheer determination and commitment. Mm. And I think you tend to find that um, a bit more in smaller mm. organizations. 
because the messaging from the CEO down is very clear, funnily enough, on the vision, on the strategy, clarity of communication. You know, it doesn't get um, diluted in various layers or it doesn't get kind of sidelined by somebody's personal agenda. In a small organization, it goes from the CEO to the people, bang. Mm. And uh, I think that can be hugely inspiring and uh, uh, does allow you to, I think, get acclimatized if you come from a big corporate into those environments a bit quicker. But that, that period of sabbatical was, I, I think without doing that, I would have failed miserably in, mm. uh, in a Marketo or, or, you know, Sitecore or even, you know, where yeah. I am now, Terminus. So. Yeah, but that is, that is really interesting that, that, and I don't think not, not everybody would actually think of that. I certainly wouldn't have, that the importance of taking time out just to reset things and to, I guess, reprime your brain so that as, when you go back in, it's, it's, it's almost like you're, you're, not, you're not starting with a blank canvas, but certainly there's more space in the canvas that you can write on. And, and it prompted another question at the back of my mind because I was going to ask you about, you know, which do you think from a, in terms of honing sales skills and, and leadership skills, is it, is, is, does that happen easier in a startup or in a large organization? And I don't know that there is an answer to that. I'd be curious to know what you think. And then the other one was, if, if the answer is both, by the way, is are, are you better off Big organization first or small organization? Just curious to know your thoughts on it because I've done both. Uh, for me, mm. and I wouldn't want to speak on, on behalf of others. For me, it's um, corporate and then small organization. I think it's easier to scale down than it is necessarily to scale up. And uh, I think what you get in a large corporation, an Oracle, you know, is a world class company um, with world class people in it with a very mature approach to things that you get a, a, a lot of opportunity of um, training and enablement. You get to make mistakes and it doesn't matter if the mistake that you make, you know, it doesn't kind of the ripple in the pond of that mistake is not as mm. big as it is in a small company. Mm. Um, and I think you, you get that level of um, uh, induction almost into a sales management or sales leadership role. I think it's a lot more difficult in a smaller organization because you're, your perspective of what good looks like is is from a very limited footprint it's probably mm. from the person who hired you into that role or maybe their boss but it, so it's it it's a very narrow viewpoint mm. within an oracle your eyes are wide wide open um mm. and you also yeah. get this, this thing around I'm, I'm kind of hands-on going back to kind of the market still thing you know i'm very hands-on I'm, I'm very experimental that um, you get far more experiences, I think, a broader set of experiences that you can find out what you really like, what you don't like, what you're really good at, where you need to improve. And I think you can take all those into a smaller organization mm. and test yourself mm. daily, but differently. Yeah. yeah. I actually, listening to you about that, I think it could be defined by what you're giving up more so than even what you're getting. And, and, and the reason why I say that is I remember I went from Motorola into a startup organization and what still sticks in my head was the day I started, I'm given a laptop in this startup organization. And I said, where do I sign this out? <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. And they looked at me like I had two heads. What do you mean sign it out? <laughs> but, 
But it was interesting because I think when you go from a large organization to a small one, what you're giving up is the support network and the structure. But if you're going from a small organization to a larger organization, you're giving up autonomy. And I, personally, I think autonomy is a lot harder to give up than support. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. If that's, is, is that's what's divine? Or am I... Yeah, and I, I, did a, uh, I did a startup. I guess we'd call it a startup. I left Oracle for a year um, back in, I chased the 99.2000.com dream and I worked for a company called Epiphany. And I had great success at Epiphany. But I miss mm. my friends. Mm. I, I miss the comfort of being in a big corporation and miss my mates. So I went back. Mm. I left. I said, thanks very much. It's been great. But it's just not for me at this point in time. And I think there's a certain degree. I just wasn't mature enough to adapt yeah. from big yeah. to small at that point in time. And I think that's a question people need to ask themselves as well. And, and when I'm interviewing, a question I'll probably ask every person I interview is, um, when you operate at your best, what are the characteristics and conditions that need to be in place for you to be at your real best? And if mm. you struggle to answer that, take some time out and really ask yourself those questions. Um, and then the second question follow up is, what do I need to do to create an environment where you can be at your best? Mm. And that soon, you soon figure out um, about yourself and it's not about chasing stock options at a small company or going, mm. you know, to work in a big company. It's about where are you best going to put the skills, talent, mm. ambition, and aspiration mm. that you've got. And I think, you know, that's that sits with the individual. You've got to know, but somebody needs to give you the clues mm. And, mm. and help you through that process because it's difficult. Yeah. I wonder, though, where the line between comfort blanket and psychological needs is and I'll give you my recollection when I left Motorola I remember starting at this startup and being told next week Paul you're going to be on our stand at the 3GSM Congress in Cannes it was in Cannes at the time before it moved to Barcelona and I remember we we're in this small booth as you can imagine we're the startup organization and I remember looking across at the Motorola stand where they'd spent millions on this thing and then they had the after party and they had Tony Hadley and steps at their app I remember sneaking in because I still had my Motorola business card right but uh, which is probably another reason you know when I say why did I hang on to that but I remember looking across with a huge level of maybe some angst saying, you know, what did I just do? I've left all that behind. And to me, that was a comfort blanket because when you took that away and you say, okay, you're now on your own. You now have people walking by this booth and none of them know you're, who you are, what company it is. You have to step forward. You have to get outside your comfort zone and, and that can shape you. So, but there's a line there because you're right. There's other times it's a psychological need that we have for maybe... Uh, that interaction with other individuals and that you could be a fish out of water when you don't have that. And, and I just don't know if you, it, it's, is, is there a line between the two? And if so, where are your thoughts on where it is? Uh, and, and I'll go back to a previous point you made, which actually the answer is both, right? And, and it's, you know, so I look back um, and go, geez, did they really used to fly me literally around the world, either in business or first class, and I stayed at the best hotels in the city I was staying at because I made sure I did. I ate in the best restaurants in that city. Um, and I was with people I loved working with, talking to, you know, being with customers um, who were probably going to buy the thing that I had to sell them because that's generally what happened. Um, and, and that was great to look back on. I'm delighted I had 
that experience. I remember one, one, one time my PA had just booked me on the wrong flight. So I was going from Heathrow to Nice. I ended up, there was no, um, there was no other seats left apart from this one in business class. And she booked me this. And Mark Zuckerberg sat on the seat next to me. He's come on with Cheryl um, Sandberg and, yeah. and the things. And I'm sat next to Zuckerberg on a flight because that's the company policy of putting you in that situation. And it's amazing kind of some of the things that can come out of that, right? Some of the stories that can come out of that. It's probably not going to repeat itself today, but it's just going to give you a different set of experiences because to your point, without some of those comfort blankets, without being that kind of spoiled, um, spoiled pup, um, actually what I think you do do is you, you, you have the ability to really dig deep and use that thing that gets used more and more now, which is around grit, right? Cause you have mm. to have that level of grit, determination, uh, persistence, um, to achieve some of those aspirational things. And it's not about being comfortable. You can't be comfortable in a smaller organization. There is nowhere to hide. You mm. are what you represent and the results that you, that you, mm. um, that you drill out. Uh, but it's great to have a balance of both, right? Yeah. Is there less grit around these days? Do you think? No, I, I think it might manifest itself differently. Um, mm. And I was thinking prior to coming on, on this call, kind of what's changed. Now, I don't want to be the, you know, the dinosaur and talking about, you know, it was better yesteryear because it wasn't right. Mm. It was just different. It wasn't better. Mm. Um, the thing that I think, and it's interesting with COVID as well, and here we are both, you know, both sat at home is that um, the thing that I would urge everybody and take the level of grit that exists, whether you're an SDR or whether you're a sales leader in a big company or a small company is spend as much time as you can with your customer and when we're able to face to face. And one of the things I see is less of that going on. Even pre COVID there was far less face to face communication. You know, I, I, I remember one, one particular day, at Oracle and I drove from my house in Milton Keynes and I left at like half five in the morning. I drove to, uh, Leeds to, to a bank up in Leeds, got a contract signed. I drove from Leeds to Putney for a different mm. division of the same financial services company, got a contract signed, went back to Thames Valley park, got the deal booked and you have to stand around for two hours and kind of help people get in the deal booked and then drove home and that was one day and I felt exhausted. I've done goodness knows how many hundreds of miles. It was a good day at the office. Mm. It was a good day at the office. And I think mm. those put yourself out there, spend as much time as possible, mm. find any excuse to go spend time with your customer. You will accelerate your learning and you mm. will get better and better and better at this thing that we mentioned at the get go that mm. people buy from people. Mm. Right. And, and mm. I, I think zoom, um, just dilutes a lot of that. It's clearly possible to do commerce over yeah. Zoom, but it's certainly not as enjoyable. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't get to take yeah. anybody out for lunch after they've signed your deal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what I take from that as well is that you can take all of the traits, characteristics, and requirements and ambitions to be successful. That's fabulous. But unless you're willing to put in the hard yards, none of it is, is going to end up in the results that you want to take it. And that's sometimes that that determination, the willingness to do what it takes as a drive to Leeds, then to Putney, then back to the office. And if anybody knows the geography, 
Well, that's one serious day's work to put that in. And uh, so kudos to you. It, it demonstrates that it's, it's not just luck, that it's, what does it say? Luck is opportunity, meaning hard work. Right. And uh, the hard work is the thing that people don't want, they want to gloss over very often. And uh, it doesn't work. Gavin, you said a moment ago, I, I stepped forward and that kind of stuck with me, that resonated with me because I think it's, it can, it can kind of gloss by like a stream of, stream of consciousness, but it's actually a loaded statement. It's really, really important. Right. The willingness to put yourself out there and having the confidence to do that. Uh, tell me about how that was replicated through your sales career, that ability or willingness to step forward and, and the difference it made. And some of that's through, um, and it is an interesting point, and some of that's through personal commitment, you know, and around you know, traveling to wherever or doing whatever you need to, to get the deal done. Um, and some of it's through that natural curiosity of, and I had, I had a couple of examples that stand out for me. One, I was asked by the managing director at, um, at Oracle at the time, Ian Smith, um, we're doing something at Chelsea Football Club. Um, it's in the uh, Peter Benetti suite, and we're gonna present to an audience of around 500 people who don't know Oracle, but we're gonna do this, this thing. Um, do you want to be part of it? It's me, the MD, and the VP for HR at the time, Nick. Um, and I'm being interviewed and hosted by Garth Crooks, for those people who might watch BBC Sports and Match of the Day. The um, MP at the, exactly, the MP at the time, David Meller, QC, um, who'd been in the press, and Adrian Childs, who's the BBC um, sports reporter. And I'm on stage being interviewed by these people about stuff to do with Oracle. And it's yeah. like, you could have said, no, that's not for me, because I feel uncomfortable yeah. presenting to an audience of 500 people, or I don't want to be on stage with TV personalities or whatever. And you go, yeah, that could be real fun. I'm going to be terrified. I need some coaching to help me get through that. But I'm in. I'm in. Um, and that's great. I had another situation, just to kind of give you a different example. I was approached, I, I used to do some work with women in uh, women's leadership group at Oracle. And I was asked by the organizer of that in the UK, did I want to um, be on a panel of, uh, of five ladies presenting to an audience of 150 females about uh, female leadership in technology? Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to do that because it's so outside my comfort zone. And then yeah. when you remove the thing about female and it's just about leadership and technology um, and uh, you're in a privileged position with a bunch of smart people, then, you know, say, just say yes to a lot of this stuff. And yeah. it's amazing, you know, the experiences that you can get out of that. Yeah. Sounds to me like you've had some wonderful experiences. What do you miss the most? Um, uh, yeah, it's, th th those opportunistic experiences um those uh those memories that it creates um that might be hosting the chelsea flower show with you know kind of the ceo of whatever I, i've been invited to a uh, private ceremony at westminster abbey by the ceo of john lewis or it might be you're flying to california for 24 hours do that trip there and back 24 hours to host um, the CIO of, uh, of a major retailer. It might, might be those things. I missed that. You push yourself out there. And I, I kind of look at people growing up through our profession at the moment, and particularly in a COVID world, but even without COVID world, that people are going to miss out on some of that um, because it's, some of it's difficult and some of it's uncomfortable and some of it takes an awful lot of effort and sacrifice. 
And I do feel that we have an opportunity in this environment, in this industry, to do so much more than sell software, so much more to grow ourselves as individuals. Because when we look back, you know, when we're retired and we look back, you kind of almost probably forget most of the deals. But you remember those standout experiences that are almost unique, that become that dinner table conversation that you can share with people. And they go, wow, that was cool. And you go, yeah, I was really fortunate and lucky to be in that situation. So I I kind of, you know, I do feel a little bit sorry that people are probably going to miss out on a lot of that. Yeah. Gavin, I'm conscious we're up against time. I had a couple of quick questions to to, to finish out to ask you. Uh, First one is this. Um, your house is burning down, your family are safe, your gadgets, your phone, your, your laptop, whatever, they're safe, and you have time to run back in and grab, grab one object, what would it be and why? Oh, man, that's so difficult. Um, if, my, if my personal, the things I really, you know, value um, uh, are safe, I've got a couple of, um, I've got a couple of pictures, I've, I've got them either side of me here, um, one is uh, of me at Buckingham Palace um, at the Queen's Garden Party with the Queen's invitation. Dear nice. Gavin, we'd love to see you there. And the other one is a picture of, uh, of me at number 10, but down in streets. Um, and on both okay. occasions, I was representing uh, a charity that I'd okay. done some work for. That's what I had to ask you. I couldn't let you go without asking you, how did you get those? Because they didn't come by doing the, 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 the deal of the year at Oracle. No, no. Um, it is part of that putting yourself out there, put yourself in uncomfortable situations and that natural level of curiosity of, yeah. you know, finding something other than selling software or, or, or leading people. Actually, there's more to life than that, right? None of us are saving mm. lives here. Certainly I'm not. Mm. Um, so what are the other experiences that you can get involved in? I got involved with an amazing um, charity called Queen Elizabeth Foundation and um, we, did, we did some great stuff with those as a, as a wider team and uh, I was very grateful to get the opportunity to go both of those locations so I would take those photos with the invitations that Samantha Cameron wants to see me at number 10 and uh, and Queen Elizabeth would love to see me at the garden party fabulous so uh, you didn't have anything to do with Cameron's decision to hold a vote on Brexit by any chance did you was that it was before then it was before, it was before then. <laughs> so, uh, yes. You didn't whisper yeah. in his ear or anything, say, listen, here's what you should do. <laughs> no, no. Very good. And, and, and final question, Gavin, is when, when all is done in your life, your, your time is up, and there's a statue erected in your honour, what would you like the plaque at the base of the statue to say? He probably did the most with the limited talent that he'd got available. You know? Okay, so, can, we add, uh, can we add Humble in there as well? Because you're not a man <laughs> of limited talent. That well, is clearly the, the case. For those, I of, guess for those people I, who I know me, uh, for those people who know me the most, they know that that humbleness is a fairly short-lived experience. But um, <laughs> I think all you can do in this life, Paul, is, you know, kind of try your best, right? And, and if you can yeah. work hard, try your best. You know, have a great time, meet some amazing people on the way. You're probably done all right. That's it. That's it. Actually, you know what? That's a wonderful life philosophy. It's it's yeah. simple, it's succinct, and it's on the money. Listen, Gavin, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you so much for being my guest. Absolute pleasure, Paul. Take care.